A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to part two, everyone. I hope your experience on the Hooks Sotenta wasn't too tortuous as you awaited the results of the Moon Under Pub quiz. We are creating Dot Nadabio's dream pub. We've got his draft and his bottles, but before we populate it anymore, we need the answers to that quiz, Robin. Thanks, John. So this week's quiz was about first lines from novels. So question one was it was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13, Dotton? Uh, that was 1984. John, what did you? What were you saying? I also had 1984, but I, d- I sometimes get it mixed up with the start of Under Milk Wood. Oh, really? <laughs> What's the start of Under Milk Wood? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Isn't that something about a clock, maybe? I don't know. To begin at the beginning, it is spring, moonless night in the small uh, town. Yeah. Do you just happen to have mil- under milk wood next well, to Well, it's kind of a coincidence because of the pub library, but we'll come on to that in a minute. <laughs> okay, oh dear. Question two <laughs> was, if you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born, what my lousy childhood was like. So, Dotton, what was, what was that and what is it in its Swedish translation? <laughs> well, it is Holden Caulfield narrating the story of the Catcher in the Rye, which in Swedish is called Red Darren in Nörden, uh, the catcher in, or the saviour in times of need, which it loses the meaning of J.D. Salinger because J.D. Salinger, if I'm not wrong, got that. It's a quote from, um, oh gosh, Robbie who Burns is it? Burns, isn't it? Is it Robbie? If a if a body catch a body yeah. running through the rye, but. The catcher in the rye is not the saviour in times of emergency. No, it's like yeah, very it's different quite meaning. Yeah, that. I think the French translation is very different. I remember getting it in French, and it's really different. It's a difficult one to translate. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, difficult. I think probably in every language they'll have a different translation. Yeah, yeah. John, did you get that one? I did get catcher in the rye. Yes, though I don't have the same sort of attachment to it as you you two really? do. I I read it and was like, yeah, yeah. What age did you read it? Um, I reckon I would have been 17 or 18. Okay. I, I think I read it and then if you keep coming back to it, it's one of those ones where every time you come back to it, you notice different things. And it's got this reputation that it's about this angry teenager. And it is, but it's it's the reasons why he's angry. Because he's grieving, you know. It's so beautiful. It's a brilliant book. 
you're absolutely right. He's grieving because of his younger brother who has died and his parents don't quite get it. And, you know, that's your first port of uh, support when you suffer a, um, a a tragedy like a death of a young boy, you know, um, a bereavement's a hard thing. So if you're young and you don't have your parents supporting you or don't get why you're upset, then you're in trouble. And then he goes to the wrong school, etc., etc. But I read it when I was 12 or 13, and it was the first time I'd seen that we didn't have to be prisoners in the schools that our parents had sent us to. There's something so liberating uh, for a 12, 13-year-old to read about Holden Coldfield. He just thinks, well, stuff school, I'm going off to New York where all the action is. And then he asks that important question, which I've never had an answer for at the very end, where he says, where do all the ducks go to in Central Park in the winter when the ponds freeze over? It's a valid question, I think, for a teenager. I wonder if I should have read it earlier and then later. Yeah. So if I'd, like with Gatsby, when I read Gatsby, I didn't quite take much of it in. And then I read it in my early 20s and my mind just kind of fell apart. And I think I I might have had a similar experience with Catcher in the Rye if I'd read it, say, as a 12-year-old mm. and then again as a 25-year-old. But alas, it fell between two mm. stalls. But maybe give I'll give it, it another The dialogue go. is amazing. It's like he's got a tape recorder and recorded someone talking. The dial- he, he's, so, he's so real to me, I think. He's a, like a real person. Yeah. And yeah. Given that uh, J.D. Salinger was positively middle-aged at the time he wrote it, you know, he, he did caption a voice of a mi- disaffected youth. I wouldn't read it again, though, John, because I've read it again, you know, after my sort of era of um, worshipping Holden Coalfield. And when I read it sort of in my probably late 20s, uh, possibly 30s, I just felt like giving Holden Coldfield a slap. <laughs> you stupid fucking idiot. You see how you messed up my life? Yeah. And now I realise you're just a pain in the flipping backside. So I, I wouldn't read it again as an adult. Well, I, I certainly, I, th- I liked it. I just, I didn't have a similar experience I did with Moby Dick, where I've tried reading that three times and I think it's oh, just complete garbage. No, no, no. Oh, well. <laughs> it's just, I just cannot believe anyone likes it. You better that be book. ready to hear about whales. That's the first first line of Moby Dick, isn't it? No, that was a very famous tweet. Yeah, strap in for some <laughs> yeah. whales. Yeah. They're, they're good at rugby, apparently. <laughs> um, oh, that whales. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay, I get that. Do you know, the, the time and time again, I've seen musical artists who I respect reference Moby Dick. Uh, it wasn't a surprise to me that... Uh, Bob Dylan in his lecture. It's a great literary lecture, actually. It's a, it, it is a template in how to write a literary review, I think, or literary criticism. But he uh, he talks about the literary influences behind his work. And he, again, references Moby Dick. You can't get away from Moby Dick. But do you not think, sorry, this is not a podcast about books but i do i need with moby dick if it had been written by a british author do you not think that people would have gone what's happened nothing's happening in this book is it it's americanness 
that means it's revered so highly. Whereas we actually read it as a piece of literature, you think, this is garbage. What is it going you, on about? What you should do is listen to the In Our Time about it and listen to the listen to the Mastodon album Leviathan, which is about Moby Dick. <laughs> if you want a heavy metal concept album about it, then you know. Maybe. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. I've got beef with Dick. <clears throat> Question three was, yes, of course, if it's fine tomorrow, said Mrs. Ramsey, but you'll have to be up with the lark, she added. Anyone get that one? I was going to go for um, Jane Eyre. Right. I've gone for Cider with Rosie. It is To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. Oh, Oh, gosh, man. Uh, My daughters will not forgive me for that (laughs) one. Oh. I tore my copy of To the Lighthouse in half at university. Well, again, that's another one I didn't get when I was young, but I read it. Yeah, oh yeah, yes, good book. Uh, Robin, thank you so much for that Moon Underwater pub quiz, where Dotton and I both got two out of three. And, as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) So, Dotton, in your dream pub, we have Watney's Pale Ale and Worthington E on draft, taking us back to the Haringey pubs of your childhood. We also have a Beaujolais du Village. Well, taking me back to my hitchhiking days to Paris, yeah. <laughs> and and the best approximation of the, uh, the the French port supply that you would raid on trips to uh, France. But you've gone for Cockburns. Yeah, Cock rather than Co. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we must now have a couple of spirits or liqueurs. Do, do you like spirits? You said that you're not a huge drinker, but do spirits play a part of that? Um, well, when I was in Sweden, I learned to drink spirits again through my certain friend who liked to drink. And um, I, I got a ponchon for a liqueur, which is called punch. For yeah, They call it punch there, but essentially punch. I got, um, I don't know what the liqueur, what's in the liqueur. That was absolutely delicious. Apart from that, you know, just uh, being married to a Jamaican, I have a, um, I've been had a lot of rum forced down my throat on trips to Jamaica and um, <laughs> Ray and nephew rum. Once I had this rum in New Orleans, which was the strongest thing I'd ever, ever tried in my life. And then I went to um, Caracou, which is a tiny island off Grenada, and they sold me some of this sort of hooky rum that they make themselves. And that almost, I, I, you could have died with that one. But I tried to... I tried to smuggle a bottle of it back, but they uh, found out at uh, Grenada Airport and took it off me then. And I'm I'm still pissed till today that I didn't drink most of it before I got on the fly. (laughs) I'm still pissed till today. (laughs) So, uh, spirits. Let's go for whiskey, because when I was at university, I was uh, the president of the all-night party. You had to drink whiskey slammers to... um, uh, to comply with the rules, we had a lot of whiskey. So, I, like, I, I'm I genuinely my my daughters laugh when I say, "Oh, yeah, of course I don't drink." And they just like laugh because all my stories here are about drinking. But I promise you, I only did it because I was a president of the society, and as president, you had to show a good example to all the rest. So I drank a lot of whiskey when I was a kid, uh, when I was at university. So, are you picking the the Swedish punch as one of your choices? Yes, go for the Swedish punch. It's flag punch, flag with two G's, flag punch, and they spell punch slightly different. So it's punch P U N S C H, I think. Yeah, well, I'm just looking it up in my mind, and it's an incredibly sort of 
it's such a sort of multicultural drink because it's it's Finnish or Swedish. Yes, yes. Yet it's it's made by mixing brandy or rum with arak and arak tea. That's what it is. An arak, I've never heard of it before, but it's an alcoholic drink produced in India, Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. Oh, wow. Made from the fermented sap of coconut flowers or sugar cane. <laughs> and then they mix that with the the tea and the spices. So it's sort of interesting how this very, very Swedish drink has so many elements to it, which are, and it was brought over from, just checking with my mind Getting again. all of this from your mind. Um, yeah, all of this is from my mind. It's got an amazing mind, Robin. Don't take the mickey. It was brought to Sweden from Java in 1733. No way! Yeah. It looks oh, wow. great. Wow. I really, really want to try it. Uh, you know, it's Brandy. very sweet. Oh, rum. And I can mm. tell you that... I'm imagining kind of limoncello because of that lemon thing. Is there an element of that or not really? I can't taste it. I just remember we used to drink it a lot when things got really cold in the winter. Mm. It used to literally warm up your insides and uh, see you all right till you got to the next bar, you know. It, it was. I didn't have the respect for it that uh, John's managed to give me now. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I just thought, wow, let's just get drunk on this. It's nice and sweet, you know. So do you have a specific whiskey that you slammed as president of the All Night Society? And it's, in a sense, you still are president of the All Night Society. Yeah, because once president, you, you, it's a lifetime honour, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, then I've continued to the BBC. You're absolutely right. I started to see where I meant to begin. Uh, continue. I would go for one of the Yanks. Yeah. So I, I'd go for Jack Daniels or I would, in fact, let's go for a, a, a Southern Comfort. I know it's not straight whiskey, but it's got all the spices that work for me. Let's go for a Southern Comfort. Much better choice. Great choice. Love a Southern Comfort. It's a good one, yeah. Well, we we spoke quite a lot about literature earlier. So just to break that up, I want to ask you, Dotton, so much of the work you've done in your life has been about amplifying black voices in British culture. And this is quite a big question, so feel free to sort of whittle it down a bit. But what what sort of part has the pub played in sort of black culture? And often when we think of that sort of archetypal British pub, I think what we're imagining is, is quite a white place. Is that changing or is there still a, a way to go with that? And is the pub a place where, for example, your your family, it wasn't part of their experience, but do you think it's more a place now where an, a, an immigrant family could go, or do you think it's still, is it still a very white place? Well, it depends where you go, obviously. Mm. Um, if, if you're going outside the urban landscape of London, Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds, etc., then it does tend to be much more uh, uh, of a white place. And that's because, you know, the, the demographics just don't add up for it to be much more uh, multicultural. I'll tell you the funniest thing I ever experienced. I was telling somebody just yesterday about this, uh, that I went to, I used to have a social friend, uh, a social circle of friends, and this would have been in my early 30s or maybe late 20s, early 30s, and they decided, let's go away for a weekend. Somebody arranged um, to hire a house that we could all sort of get drunk in in Devon, I think it was North Devon, and you know, ordered a keg of beer for us all to drink. But and we're all because we're all working at the time, we're all going to meet up on the Friday evening after work at some pub in the middle of nowhere in North Devon. So I was driven there by um, a couple of friends, 
And when we got to the pub, we got there very late. So the pub was packed. I've never seen a pub so packed in the middle of, you know, the Devon landscape. I mean, I couldn't see landscape because it was dark. And we, we got there about 11 o'clock, maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock, just before closing time or whatever it was. But the place was still buzzing and packed. And my friends walked in and then I walked in and the whole place just went silent. It just went silent. And it was one of those you thought, I had to say something, you know. I can't remember what I said. You know, I probably said, hello, everybody. <laughs> this is the big bopper speaking. <laughs> Do I what? Do I what? Oh, baby, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face. I probably said something like that. But I don't know what I said, but it was one of those, you know, hang on. You know, it was like a Blazing Saddles moment, you know. And I walked into that pub and I thought, whoa, the pubs out here in the countryside, they're not like the ones in London. Because I've never had that kind of reception in London. Well, now we venture, as mentioned, to the Moon Underwater Pub Library, where every week Robin introduces one of his favourite publy tomes. Uh, Robin, what is it this week? Well, you've already mentioned it, John. Uh, it's Dylan Thomas's Undermilk Wood, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, play Radio play for voices. It's so funny and so dark. And there is a fantastic pub in the Claregib, bugger all, backwards. Um, we're called the Sailor's Arms. Uh, a sunlit bar but I thought I don't think I should be reading it so I asked Ellis to record himself reading the extract Remember last night in you reeled my boy as drunk as a deacon with a big wet bucket and a fish frill full of stout and you looked at me and you said God has come home you said and then over the bucket you went sprawling and bawling the floor was all flagons and eels was I wounded and then you took off your trousers and you said does anybody want to fight oh you old baboon give me a kiss and then you sang bread of heaven tenor and bass well, you always said bread of heaven. And then you did a little dance on the table. I did. Drop dead. And then what did I do? Well, then you cried like a baby and said you were a poor drunk orphan with nowhere to go but the grave. And what did I do next, my dear? Then you danced at the table all over again and said you were King Solomon Owen and I was your Mrs. Sheba. And then... And then I got you to bed and you snored all night like a brewery. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I love the way Alice says brewery. Even though he's not Richard Burton. Yeah, he, but, he did, but did well. He did, a great did job. well. He, he, he does a worryingly good yeah, Richard Burton impression as well. <laughs> That's so good. So I look forward to Ellis getting even more warm regional voiceover work off the back of that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, so, a You're great not addition. Bitter, are you? <laughs> Aye, he did The Secret Life of Farmyard Animals. He does Blunders, the worst ever movie Blunders. He did another one that I heard recently as well. It wasn't either of those, but I heard another one with him, but I can't remember what. Sorry. But Dotton, did he get the caramilk job? No, he didn't. <laughs> oh, he didn't. I got the caramilk oh, job. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Caramilk. Just ask an Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a partridge. 
<laughs> they wanted it to be slightly dry. I think I they wanted a bit more depth and range than Ellis would have been able to offer. <laughs> well, um, they certainly did a better d- job with Dylan Thomas than I could have done, I think. Yes, and and me. So, Under Milkwood there, a worthy addition to the pub library. Let's just pop that on the shelf. We don't just have a library here, Dot, and we have a jukebox. Ooh. And we ask every guest to add the album they would most want to see on a pub jukebox or most want to hear when they walk into a pub. Because as we've already discussed earlier on, sound is the fire of the ears. So what is... Uh, what fire... CD. Uh, do you want to put on the Moon Underwater jukebox? You know, I thought about this and I, I thought, no, I should really go for Elvis Presley's eponymously titled debut album um, because of, you know, like I said, I, I went to pubs or at least the Black Raven to play the jukebox. Um, it used to cost six minutes a time. I used to save up all my pocket money to go down there and uh, drop in uh, a couple of tunes and hope other people would as well. And I thought, actually, no, no, not that, because that probably won't sustain an entire night at the jukebox. You know, if the older generation are there, but something that will give it a bit of energy. So I went for also a first album, The Clashes, eponymously titled First Album, because if nothing else, there are lots of chants on it. You know, when you're in a pub, you want to sing along with everybody. You know, you want it to be, um, I don't know, Neil Diamond or whatever. That's something that everybody can sing along to. And I think that there are some belters in there that if you're familiar with them, well, there is Police and Thieves, which was a classic in any case, but their version of it. Whereas... The Junior Mervyn original was Police and thieves in the street. Actually, I'm singing more like Joe's drummer. That's not surprising. (laughs) But um, that first album, there are so many anthems. He's in love with Jenny Jones, whoa. He's in love with getting stone, whoa. He's in love with Jenny Jones, whoa. He don't like his boring job, no. Everybody can sing along. I'm so bold with the USA. But what can I do? And in my pub, I want everybody to be singing along with a lot of energy. So I've gone for that one. I've gone for that one. I think in your pub, you also want to be in a band performing at the pub. Of course. I think you'd be in a great covers band. Oh, I would love that. Oh, that's very generous of you. So this is an old style pub where there is actually a little room for performing like there used to be in pubs. Oh, yeah, it can be anything you like. Oh, it's got to have a performance room. Thank you for that, John. I'm, oh, I'm really touched by that. Because if there's one thing that pubs have lost, it's the ability to be the alternative poor men's, if you like, but certainly the alternative tour calendar. You know, the, mm. uh, there, was, there was a musical genre called pub rock once upon a time, and it spurned 
so many of the legends that we take for granted today, including the likes of Elton John. We know famously Gary Barlow was a, a barroom or pub singer. You know, loads of people like that came out and people that formed bands afterwards as well. When I was a teenager and you didn't have any money, uh, even though you could see five punk bands for a, a pound, that includes the Sex Pistols or The Clash for a pound and four other bands. Uh, sometimes we didn't even have that because we were bunking off school, spending all our pocket money on that so we go to pubs again we didn't drink couldn't even uh, order drinks because we weren't old enough we just go to watch the band uh, and there'd always be a live band you get in for nothing that's what a pub should be Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football the words, the phrases, the mannerisms and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. From the shoes that football pundits are legally required to wear to the didn't play for Sam Allardyce's Bolton but really should have done 11, Football Clichés explores all the tiny things that you didn't realise you cared about, but believe me, you do. Well, we move on uh, to your final choice, which is your wild card option to accompany Southern Comfort, Swedish Punch, Coke Burns Port, just uh, sort of sitting on the fence there, (laughs) (laughs) Beaujolais de Village, Worthington E and Watney's Pale Ale. So what's your wild card choice? I will go for a ginger beer. Mm. Mm. Any brand in particular? I would go for Stone's. When I was a kid, they were famous for their, what was it they the Stones did? Oh, ginger wine. Ginger wine, ginger wine. And ginger wine was such a, a weird taste. 
but it was a nice weird taste if you don't drink alcohol so much because it's a sweet taste and it wasn't much of a step for them to start uh producing their own ginger beer as well and uh, ginger wine ginger beer yeah it's similar kind of the ginger is the link obviously mm. but um i can't tell much difference between the two and i like what they uh produce and there's that other one is it scrabbies oh crabbies yeah crabbies 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 yeah. yeah no let me go for the crabbies one okay instead. nice let me go for the crabbies. okay nice to give the independence probably not an independent <laughs> anymore but nice to give the independence a shout crabbies yeah crabbies ginger because i think they do ginger wine as well but let's go for crabbies ginger beer we we used to uh, create a, a diabolical drink at a pub in Bristol called the the Hillgrove, where we'd combine Sailor Jerry's spiced rum with Crabby's alcoholic ginger beer, and we called it a Turbo Mungo. Um, <laughs> Mungo would. Jerry's yeah, with uh, <laughs> get a round of them; oh it'd be like fifty God. quid as well. <laughs> it was yeah, so expensive. Get, oh my God! But yeah, a sugary, a sugary high. Also, it was always it was always the last drink we'd have. So you'd have it, and then you'd leave at midnight, and at sort of one in the morning, you'd come it would up. just kick yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, in fact, in that case. May I add, because you asked me for which alcohol I wanted, and I went for the old school one, but may I add a little bit of 80s twist to my Worthington E and my Watney's Pale L? And that is a little bit of a lime chaser that makes it a snake bite. Is that what snake bite is? It's got the lime Snake bite cider, isn't it? With, with cider and beer, I think. But yeah, but you can have, yeah, a, you can have like a... Yeah, you can have a, a top. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah. know a few people who have a top. Let's stick some lime in that because that snake bite for some reason used to knock me out. Is that cider and beer? Yeah, is it? I think that's yeah, it's illegal. I think now snake is it bite. illegal? Yeah, you're I kidding think, me. I don't think you can. I don't think you can mix cider and beer in the same pint and serve it to someone as snake bite anymore. Oh right, I didn't know that. Oh my goodness, that was the um, the tipple of choice when I was at university. Snake bite. Yeah. You know? just sounded so much fun and and it did give you a bite afterwards going back to what you're referencing there i generally didn't know it was illegal anymore okay so we've got lime on the side we've got a bit of light and cordial on the side next to the worthington Inn and the watney's pale ale and people can add as they want of course they can you're barred every pub as welcoming as it may be does need rules at dotton and you're allowed to have a rule or or bar something from your pub so what are you going to not allow in there could be an item or a behavior or anything okay here i'm torn because first i'm just going to say look no smoking any weed in the pub and the reason why i have to add that is because you know there used to be some pubs in in Brixton, where you just went in there, you think, what's the point of the pub? Everybody's smoking weed. <laughs> and the joke was, the joke was, I went to do, this is a true story. You can ask five livers. I went to do a story about the pubs in Brixton. I was just like doing a sort of a colour piece, if you like. And um, I went in there with like a tape recorder to talk to some people. And the bouncer came after me, what the hell are you doing? You can't, you can't pull out a tape recorder in the middle of it. And I was like, hang on, everybody in here is smoking <laughs> weed except me, yeah. except me, and you come to me to harass something not right with this legal system. But 
I thought of that at first, but I thought there's a greater sin than that, which is people who are just making too much noise, disturbing other people. You can't, I, I, my, my thing would be, it's not that you can't raise your voice in the bar, forgive me, but it's that you can't just raise your voice to be loud for the sake of being loud. You can't dominate it. Hurry up, please. It's time. Before we let you go, Dotton, back to the other realm, uh, where remarkably you've got to go to work. Oh, yeah, wow. While other people are, are having their sort of second or third beers of the night, you've got to head off to your job. Funny enough, not tonight, because I'm actually on a surprising uh, leave of absence because um, it's my 20th anniversary now of Nights on Five Live, and I've taken a month off to complete um, a memoirs that I've been writing. It's not what you think it is, because I was like embarrassed to start writing them. People kept saying to me, look, you've got to write your life story or whatever. Uh, you've got so many anecdotes. And then I I wasn't really feeling it. It was kind of like, memoir. I don't know if I've ever read a memoir that I could recommend. But about six months ago, the penny dropped and uh, I figured out how I could do it. It's called It Started With a Murder, and it did. Um, And it's a memoir of bad memories of my life. And this month, I'm trying to do, at the moment, about sort of 3,000 words a day on it to try and finish off. But it's a kind of um, a whodunit, whether I'm guilty of murder and or whether I got away with murder. Well, that is such an incredible pitch for a book. That's such a great way of writing a memoir. Because there is something about when someone says memoir, there's almost wrapped into that is a sort of feeling of self-congratulation. You know, the time has come for me to put pen to paper and write my memoirs that everyone will be desperate to read. But I am now desperate to read that. Do you know what we said about Holden Coldfield earlier on in Catching the Rye? The very opening passage that Robin read out is actually the thing that inspires this because he said he didn't want, if you really want to know about who my father is and my mother is and all that David Copperfield shit, and that has stopped me from writing a memoir for the last 30 years because I thought, yeah, I'm not going to write about, you know, who my father was and who my mother was and all that David Copperfield shit. In fact, I barely touch on, I don't even think I mention my profession at all. It's irrelevant in this story and all the other sort of, accruements of life are not mentioned I just have to get to the bottom of this mystery that keeps me awake at night time and actually did result in a a potentially calamitous moment for me during the towards about the middle of the first lockdown yeah Uh, your life catches up with you at some point or other and uh, it all spilled out and I had to see a psychologist at the time and the psychologist and I've quoted the psychologist in the book saying that Dawson has some repressed memory that he you know until he unlocks that he you know his life's going to be miserable basically so this is an attempt to do that yeah oh well I cannot wait to read that unlocking it started with a murder guys if you're listening when that comes out grab it and I may well be speaking to you on another podcast it'll be next year I promise you Oh, well, what a treat it's been to have you here at the Moon Underwater. We just need a name for this fantastic pub that gives us a little slice of a quieter 
a quieter bit of life. Yeah, it's got to be the Night Watchman. Mm, oh, yes. Oh, my God. Mm. The Night Watchman. Well, I'm there. I'm absolutely <laughs> there. Don't, don't come there in the daytime, though, because it's closing in <laughs> yeah. the daytime. <laughs> Will it open all night? Will of it be course. one of those all-night pubs? I've got to have somewhere to go to at five in the morning when I finish my shift. <laughs> May as well go to my own pub. Why not? <laughs> you know. And uh, what song from The Clash's first album would you like us to play you out of as you leave The Moon Underwater? Garage band I used to love so much. We're a garage band. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, they've got lots of those wah, wah, wahs that you can all sing along to. If you, that's a, and career opportunities. Are, that is a little bit dated, though. That is because, you know, it's career opportunities. Well, that never knocks. Every job they offer you is kicking off as well. Career opportunities. Well, that never knocks. And obviously the career opportunities aren't the same nowadays. It's like the, the, the name UB40. What does it mean nowadays? You know, kind of thing. Uh, P45 is a better one to call yourselves. So it would have been, I'm going to go with, I'm so bored with the USA, but what can I do? Fantastic. I'm so bored with the USA. Playing out the fantastic Dot and Adebayo as he leaves the moon underwater to go back to the other realm. I'm only off finish. shot. You want one more drink? <laughs> one more drink, mate. It's one last drink, mate. Honestly, I'm, I'm not slosh yet. I just can't spend one night. <laughs> <laughs> and we wish you all the best with writing. It started with a murder. And uh, we will be back with you all next week, folks. And there he goes, whole Dotton, trotting Dotton, makes his way back to the other realm, and we thank Dotton. Thanks, Dots, uh, for his time here at the Moon Underwater. Thank you. You are? Did you say I love you? No, I just said thank you. <laughs> oh, I thought you said love you. We love you, Dotton. We love you so yes. very much. But we won't be guestless for long. Because winging their way to us on varied steeds is Sindhu V, who I'm really looking forward to chatting to because she has experienced so many different continents and countries, so many different settings for publi or barley, um, as in bar-like, uh, not barley, the grain, um, barley experiences. So join us next week when Sindhu V comes to the moon underwater. But from now, from Robin and I, from Pint and Glass, from Cask and Keg, we bid thee farewell. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 